0: The book of Leviticus, I love it, it's the first uh, of one of five books of the Torah, of the Old Testament. We'll find that the book of Genesis, when we studied that, it seems so long ago, (laughs) so long ago, Uh, showed us depravity and condemnation that was happening at that time. We saw the book of Exodus when we studied the book of Exodus, the, the wonderful pictures and illustrations of redemption and salvation through that book. And now as we start the third book, of the book of Leviticus, it's going to be speaking about the separation and the consecration of, uh, of, uh, of a believer. In this case, at that time, the Israelites from the world, and we will see through this book uh, the the connection between the uh, Israelites, God's people there, and the uh, God's uh, and the uh, believers today, us, you and I, as we look through this, and you will see the connections of through the sacrifices. You will see that it, again, speaks of the picture of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming into this world and being the ultimate sacrifice for us, and you will see that through this. But with this, I'm going to give you a little, probably a little lengthy introduction because I find as I started writing a few notes down, there were more and more and more and more and more notes came, uh, and what... Uh, key points I want to make sure you hear of this before we set the stage going through the rest of the book. But we will get through 17 verses and we will talk about the burnt offering. We will catch at least one of the very first uh, offerings here uh, in the teaching tonight. But when we take, to, take a look at the word Leviticus, it means pertaining to Levites, Yes, Levites, the tribe of Levi, which is set apart by God, this tribe, to be the priests of the people, to be God's representatives and spokesmen to to his people. And that is the one out of the 12 tribes that was set apart for God's work and to represent God as God speaks to his people. And they were to be set apart for the work of God, to care for, and to serve the Lord. That's who the Levites, the tribe of Levi, Levi was set apart for. And that is what we see, and we receive this, this, the English word eventually, Leviticus, from that. Now they were supported by three tithes of the people. They set him aside for God's work to to do nothing but to serve God in the way God wanted him to serve. And they had to be taken care of by the rest of the people, the rest of the uh, 11 tribes. Not only were they uh, supported by the tithes of the people, but they were also given 48 cities to live in throughout all of of, uh, God's people. We see that in Numbers 35, verse 7 and Joshua 21, 19. Now the one family of Levites, Aaron and his sons, were set apart to be the priests. The remaining of the rest of the Levites were actually assistant pastors, or assistant priests, I should say, in the ancient Israel. Their duties were the care of the tabernacle, and later the care of the temple, and to be teachers They were to be the scribes, they were to be the musicians, they were to be the officers, and they were to be the judge, the judges. So that's people who God set apart, had the responsibilities for the rest of the nation to take care of these individuals financially, to provide a a place to live, food and all those things, so that they could be this Helpers of God, these people God used to minister to the people in those areas. We see that lined out in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. Now remember, the lessons in, the Le- in Leviticus were not just for ancient, ancient Israel, but the spiritual principles in this book apply to the Christian and in the church today. So don't think, and many people today, oh, we don't need to read the Old Testament anymore. That's it's just old. It doesn't apply to us. That's not true. We take what God has had right from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, and you can't tell me Genesis 1-1 doesn't impact your life as a believer here in the church today. And it's the same thing with Leviticus. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting, when you take a look at the book of Leviticus, it is one of the most important books in Israel's life at the time, and probably... Still today maybe, but it's historically Leviticus was the very first book that was studied by a Jewish child. Yet it's often the last or never read by a Christian today. And that should not be. Hence why we're going to go verse by verse and study the whole book of Leviticus so that you get it. This book is quoted and referenced over a hundred times in the New Testament. That's a hundred times. And people say, oh, you'd never want to read the Leviticus. You're insane. Don't think that way. That's not thinking correctly. Yes, the book contains extensive revelation concerning the character of God. And you and I are studying the Word of God to know our God at a deeper level. Especially His holiness. The characteristics of God is holiness, but also his ordained love and grace poured out to his people that we see from the very beginning of time all the way through to the present and in the future as we see uh, through the rest of the scriptures into Revelation. And yes, it provides abundant resources concerning the holy life God expects for his people. That's why Leviticus is so important to the Jewish nation at the time and for us today because we must learn that we need to desire holiness in our life. The central aspect of our life as a Christian is the love of God. But the centrality of that love of God is his holiness. You cannot separate those two. I want the love of God, but I don't need to to live holy. You're not thinking correctly, my brothers and sisters, if that's your thoughts. I want God's love, but I can live however I want to. That should be absolutely wiped out in your mind by the time you get through Leviticus. Because that is not the expectations of a holy God. A holy God expects his people to live holy. That is the father's expectations of his children. As a father, you never sit there and have high standards for yourself as a father and tell your children you can live however you want to and you can do nothing and you can live wildly and live however you want to. Feel free. That's that's not good parenting, first of all. That is not being a good father to let your kids just wander and do whatever they feel like doing. And that's what we're dealing with in our society today. Because there's no expectations of the children to live and be holy as a Christian young man or a woman. And it should be. And we'll see that in the scripture. We also see that the author is not specifically identified in the book of Leviticus being Moses. But there is inter- in, internal and external examples of the fact that truly this author is Moses. He was Moses was the author of the first five books. And we will see that internal evidence shows more than 30 times we read that the Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. We also see external evidence at early Jewish testimonies. Prior to Moses' authorship to Leviticus, the third book of the Torah that was giving credit externally the fact that Moses uh, is the one that wrote that. But all of that I lean on to one key evidence for me and that's all it takes for me. Jesus said it was written by Moses <laughs> and that's all that matters to me because Jesus affirmed its mosaic authorship when he was referred to the law of cleansing from the leprosy that we see in Matthew chapter 8 verse 4 Matthew 1 44, and Leviticus 14 as we get to Leviticus 14 2 through 32 so to me When Jesus said, and gives credit to Moses being the one that wrote this, that the the Spirit of God gave Moses the word of God that he wrote down, we have Leviticus, that's all that matters to me. Now when it was written, Leviticus was written sometime in the 15th century B.C., probably after the completion of the tabernacle that we see um, and then with the fact that the initial revelation of the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai in Leviticus 25.1 and during that wilderness wandering. The content of Leviticus, the book deals with the worship of Israel. The expectation of his people are to worship God Almighty. There wasn't a question if you would argue or you're not to do it. God's expectation of his people his people was to worship God and Leviticus helps them understand how to do that in the sacrifices, the priesthood the laws that surrendered a person who's unclean or how they get disqualified him from worshiping God or various special times and seasons of worship. All of that is all laid out by God, given to his people, so there was absolute clarity of God's expectations. Which is really, really gracious of God, because he doesn't leave you guessing of how you worship God. We're to worship God in the truth in the Spirit. They were given the lines of of what they needed to do, and they gave it to the priest to make sure that the people were doing it. Now, the overall theme of the book of Leviticus, because if the people were to be holy, we will see the word holy or holiness 91 times in this book. We will see words that are connected to or speaking of you as a person being cleansed or a cleansing that happens to your life to get and purge all the junk that's in your, that's spotting you up from the world. That is referred to in the scripture 71 times in this book. But this book also references the uncleanliness and the detriments or the consequences of living an uncleanly life, we see that referenced 128 times in this book alone. So the Israelite believers worship and walk before a holy God and that was the expectation for them to do. Now Leviticus is the book of holiness. Another word for holiness is separate separaten- separaten- separateness. You need to separate yourself from the world. You are not to act and behave like the rest of the world. You're to be separate from them. Another word that we will see is a forgiveness. There is a forgiveness. There's actually, God shows them when you're separated and you live a holy life, there's a forgiveness that's poured out upon you. There's a price that God just pays and pours out onto you. But there's a price for it. That price we will see through the sacrifices. For as a believers today, we see that price was Jesus Christ being our high sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was paid a high price. For them at this point in time, God had a plan, and that was through the sacrifices through things that the people could do to commit their life and to not only say it, but actually demonstrate that through these sacrifices that we talk about and these different seasons and and different uh, uh, ways of worshiping God. Leviticus tells us, as New Testament Christians, how to uh, appreciate holiness and appropriate it or to take it upon ourselves into their everyday lives. That's why we study Leviticus to help us to be and to determine and to decide to live holy lives for God. The main verse or verses I will give to you that is from the book of Leviticus for you to hold on to and in that theme verse is Leviticus 19.2. It says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for the Lord your God am holy. The other one is Leviticus chapter 11. Verses 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God and you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defy Uh, file yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God you should therefore be holy for I am holy we know that scripture very well God calls us out of our Egypt. God calls us out of sin. God calls us out of the world. God calls us out of that old man, that junk that we live for the world, and we we're just messed up. He calls us out, and once he calls us out, and he's forgiven us, and he's consecrated us, he's for, uh, trans, uh, regenerated us, we're born again. Then we are to now live holy lives, separate from the, we're not to live like the rest of the world. And so by the way of application, this is this theme of separate yourselves, for I am you're to be holy, for I am holy. We see it in First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. As a Christian, we see he who called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Again. Expectations of the Israelites to be holy, live a holy life, and you are and I am to, today to live a holy life. There's no question what God's expectation is. No question what God's will is for your life. There's no question of these things. The only reason why there's a question is because we don't want to live holy lives. We don't want to live separate and distinct, and, and people can tell the difference in our lives than the rest of the world. We just want to blend in. We want the benefits of the world. That's why we struggle, is because our flesh and our minds are just constantly looking and being enticed and tempted by the things of this world. So it was the Israelites back then, and God knew that, and that's why he set things in motion for them to live by. And because without shedding of blood, there can be no holiness. You cannot live a holy life except from the shedding of blood and no remission of sin. We see that in Hebrews 9.22. And we will see the word blood over 88 times in this book. Today, most churches won't even talk about the blood of Christ. Or the shedding of blood. They won't hear it. It's too offensive to people's ears these days. And these are Christian churches, supposedly. Many do not like talking about the blood sacrifice. Because it appears or comes across offensive to some. But it should not be because it absolutely is the solution to people's lives. God's blood shed on that cross solves your problems and my problems. And what's the la- what do you think Satan wants to do? Make sure the church- churches are not talking about the blood of Christ. Because the blood sacrifice speaks of the solution to the unhappiness that people are experiencing in their lives today. It deals with the joyless or the, the robbing of the joy in their lives. The, that's the solution to bring joy back in your life. The emptiness that so many people are experiencing and the suicide rates that are going on is because they've taken out, they never hear about, they never talk about the blood of Christ and the sacrifice they, he made for that person specifically. Why there seems to be such distance relationships. Why can't, relationships are so in dysfunction. Dysfunctional families. Dysfunctional marriages. Dysfunctional this, dysfunctional that. It comes down to the fact that that marriage or that family or that relationships are not basing the relationships on the blood of sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the root of your problem. come to marriage counseling I'm happy to share you the, 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 the secret key to a good marriage die of yourself because Christ died for you first and live for Christ and live for the person you're married to all done counseling's good now go apply it you heard it now go do it that's it We will see here. The book of Leviticus is really broken up into two sections. The first sixteen, uh, 16 uh, chapters is all about the way we approach to the, the way of approach to God by sacrifice, and the last section, is uh, chapters seventeen through twenty-seven, and that is the walk of holiness before God by separation. So the first one is the way. I love that. <laughs> Every time I read the scripture, I keep t- reminding me of why I, we love to call, I love calling the radio station the way. The way, <laughs> the way of approach to God by sacrifice and the walk of holiness before God by separation. What's the time frame? As we review what Israel had been doing prior to giving of the instructions here because that's Leviticus. Leviticus is a book of instructions given to the priests to give to the people to make sure they do what God's expectations are. And so what was going on? About 10 weeks after their deliverance from Egypt the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai. We see that in Exodus 19.1. There God declared His law, if you remember when we studied Exodus, and gave Moses the instructions of how to build the tabernacle. Moses erected that tabernacle exactly to the exact blueprint that God gave him to build. And so he erected that tabernacle on the first day of the first month of the second year of Israel's liberation. We see that in Exodus chapter 40, verse 17. And then when we look at Exodus chapter 16 through 40, we saw it covered about nine months of time in Exodus. And we see that noted for us in Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now, when we look at Numbers, the book of Numbers opens with a census. If you've gotten to the book of Numbers in your reading plan, you will know that that opens up doing a census by taking, uh, taking that census on the first day of the second month of the second year. We see that in Numbers one, Which means that what's recorded in Leviticus covers one month worth of time of the Israelites' time frame. That's it. All of Leviticus and everything that we're going to study is taking place in one month in their time. That's it. It's not, this Leviticus was not covering years of time or one month based on the scripture here. So the tabernacle was ready for use. Now God gives the priests the instructions they needed to for offering the various sacrifices, and we will see these sacrifices laid out. And tonight we will take on the burnt offering as the first one. And we must remember out of Numbers fifteen verses one through ten, when worshipers wanted to express commitment to their God, to show committed life to God. They brought a burnt offering to the Lord. Also, we know in the Numbers, they also brought a drink offering. But tonight we'll talk about this burnt offering. So here you are, you're an Israelite, you love God, you want to commit to God, you want to show and, and react to His love and what you have for Him, you want to be committed to Him. They were to bring a burnt offering, which is... Burr offering means the meat offering. They, want, they, brought, they expected a barbecue, as I always say. And we will find that the Lord finds it as a sweet-smelling aroma because it's a form of worship in the sacrifice that they do. Now, Leviticus 1, verse 1. Now the Lord... Called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, So, right up front, again, we see that the story of Leviticus picks up right after Exodus, meaning Exodus and Leviticus is one story. It's a continuation of story here when you understand the scriptures. So, it's not Two different time periods, right? It's a continuation, and when I explain that, it's a continuation. It's just one month period of time before then you get into Numbers and on going into the Promised Land. Before they go into the Promised Land, of course. And as we see this Leviticus story being picked up right after Exodus, and they're still encamped there at the base of Mount Sinai. They will remain there all through the book of Leviticus, the whole month. So, the whole thing, picture at the base of Mount Sinai, this is all taking place and what they're exp- uh, being explained and understanding. And we see that he spoke to him, God spoke to Moses from the tabernacle, which means the tabernacle was built according to God's uh, blueprint. In chapter 1 opens up with the first of five offerings and uh, in each of of which um, we will see many different things. We'll see a... a purpose, we'll see the kind of like the procedure of what they needed to do. There's a picture to the future of Jesus Christ, the Messiah coming. We will see the price that needed to be paid in that sacrifice and even the, the main point of the sacrifice. And we'll cover those for each of those sacrifices so you can see the linkage. In verse two, we see, speak to the children of Israel. So Moses, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. So right up front, Moses was to tell them what they're to bring we are going to see that there are three major facets of what he's going to get across to them. And that's the fact that God's covenant with his people, Israel, there at the the base of Mount Sinai, said the covenant included the law of Israel, and that law they had to obey. Two, a sacrifice that they were to provide to their Lord, and they had to do it exactly the way God said they needed to do it. And then they had the choice of blessing or curse that would come if they choose not to do it God's way. God sets standards. He tells you how to do it. And it's your choice, and they had a choice, to follow it and be blessed or not to do it and be cursed. It was that clear to in and through the scriptures that we see here in the Old Testament. And because the sacrifice was already known to Israel at this point in time, these instructions that these priests were given to the people was not something new. It wasn't like they go, "Why are the priests teaching and who do they think they are? And what do they expect us to do is follow them? And what do you mean? No, their whole life and heritage was always based upon God giving direction and them being obedient to God's word all the way from Genesis. So they all know that there is a sacrifice that must take place. God is just being more specific and definitive here at the the base of Mount Sinai of how they are to do sacrifices now with what they have, the, the tabernacle, that God was going to bless them by dwelling within the Holy of Holies. And so what we see in the scriptures there, that they knew that God had a sacrificial system right from the very beginning, we see that in Genesis 3.21. We also see it with Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And you saw what happened there when one decided not to do it God's way. We also see it in Noah. Noah. In Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. So the sacrificial, the sacrifice that the people were to bring to God, to commit their life to God, has always been there. This is not something new for his people. And he says, bring an offering to the Lord. Anything that they do is to bring to the Lord. Anything that we bring as an offering, our life, our tithes, our gifts, any offering, anything you're going to do for the Lord, it must be for the Lord. You don't do it for the church. You don't do it for yourself. You don't even do it for someone else. You do it for the Lord and the Lord then Blesses the church body, blesses the people that are touched by that, and blesses you for being obedient to giving the sacrifice or to do obedience of what God's called you to do. But always know whatever you do and give is always to the Lord. The first seven chapters of Leviticus deal with personal, voluntary offerings. Keep in mind, these were voluntary offerings. The burnt offering we're talking about was a voluntary basis. You were never forced. It's just that there's consequences if you didn't do it. Because that means you're not committing your life to God. And if you're not committing your life to God, there's consequences. You don't live for God. You're going to have consequences. Not because God did it to you. It's because you did it to yourself. You must commit your life to God. And that's what they were doing. It was a volunteer basis. We see that in the first seven chapters. Chapters 1 through 5 mostly instructs the people, God's people, the Israelites, who bring the offering to God. And that's the instructions, the very first 1 through 5. And then chapters 6 and 7 is the mostly instructions to the priests concerning these offerings and receiving them and what they're to do or not to do. But the very first one that God says to tell, tells Moses to tell the people that they are to bring a livestock of the herd or the flock. Now it's interesting, is why would he be so specific? Because if you are going to bring a bull or an ox to the to the altar there to be sacrificed, it's going to cost you. It's annoying. Let me put it into terms like a farmer today. To a farmer, you need to sacrifice your largest John Deere tractor. That's going to cost you, man. That's what it was like to bring a bull or an ox who did the work on the land. They were to bring it, and that was going to be costly. It was an offering that was sacrificed that was really for those who had a lot of money. It was for those who had a lot of money. That was the offering that they were to bring. Most people did not have a bull. They did not have an ox. They didn't have the large animals. So only those who had a lot of money that God bless them, God expected a bigger offering or sacrifice for their commitment to God. So this also tells you that they could not go out and an Israelite worshiper could not go out and offer a wild animal. Couldn't go out there and say, okay, honey, go hunt because we have to have a sacrifice. You know, it's been a wild week. We better go to God because we're, (laughs) we're not in good standings with God right now, the way we've been living. Let's go get a wild animal and bring in that deer. It won't cost us a thing, just some of your time. No, God says you can't take... Something that is not God's best. You can't give second hand, third hand, fourth hand to God. No, no, no. You're going to bring something for God and for God's people and for, his, his, for the body of Christ. No, no, no. You're going to bring one of your best. Out of what's going to cost you because it's your livestock. It's someone you've been pouring into and nurturing and doing us. Now you're going to give it over to God. It's going to cost you. Remember, the burnt offering was the basic sacrifice to express your devotion and dedication to the Lord. When you give an offering, when you give a tithe, when you give, in this case, as they gave a sacrifice, it was demonstrating your devotion and dedication to the Lord, it was a form of worship. And when we surrender ourselves to the Lord, we put all on the altar that we will see in verse 9. We hold nothing back from the Lord. Now how does that apply to us in the New Testament? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. That's the parallel scripture. Where God's people are challenged to be living sacrifices, wholly yielded to the Lord verse 3 in his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd and let him offer a male without blemish he shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting before the lord so when the worshiper came with that 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 ox or that uh, that bull The worshipers wanted to express their commitment to God and they were to bring it. And we see that it had to be a male because they valued that male animal was a stronger, healthier uh, sacrifice. It was the best of the best, but couldn't have any blemishes. So the priest had to look it over and make sure this was not a sick uh, cow and it was on its last legs and no easy, no problem. Let's sacrifice. Honey, we gotta go to the tabernacle. We got, you know, the, you know, the, one, the one that was, keeps falling down and we think is dying and should have died like ten times. That's the one we want to go sacrifice. No. No blemishes here, man. They're gonna check that animal over and make sure it's no blemishes at all. But I'm sacrificing to God. No, God I wouldn't let that go. But notice here in the scripture in verse 3. Not only a male without blemish, but he shall offer it of his own free will. Again, there's an expectation set. You want to demonstrate your devotion? You want to demonstrate your love and your commitment to God? Then this is how you do it. You don't get to decide how to do that. And when you do do it, bring a good one, bring a male, make sure it's no blemish, and you do it with a free will. That means the heart has to be right. Even then, the heart, it's all about the heart. Everyone thinks only in the New Testament's about the heart. No, it's even about the heart right there. If you can't do it with a free will to give to God, then don't give it because you're just not going to be good. they are not going to be blessed by that. But they were to go right there at the door of the tabernacle. The door of the tabernacle. That's where the altar was there, and that's where that uh, animal was going to be sacrificed. And it was the person who was bringing it would be the one slish, slight um, <laughs> slicing the throat, the artery to kill that animal, the priest would then help them drain the blood out and it would go off the, uh, off the altar and it comes across. And we will see here even more specifically, but don't miss the point of the fact that it had, could not have a blemish. This principle shows that God not receiving sacrifice marked by defect. Again, it, it's a picture of Jesus Christ who knew no sin, who became sin for us. He had to have, He's sinless to go to the cross to die for your sins and mine. See the connection right there in this sacrifice that God is teaching his people. Malachi 1.8 speaks to the fact that Israel did not always live up to this standard and much later the prophet here Malachi rebuked Israel for offering god substandard sacrifices and look at Malachi 1:8 it says when you offer the blind as a sacrifice you brought him is blind is it not evil when you offer the lame and sick is it not evil Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? I mean, so many people treat God like that. God, you will just take whatever I give to your people. Give to you. You'll just accept it. Nah, no big deal. Then you don't know God. You don't know God. Tonight teaches you, you, you need to think much, much bigger (laughs) and what the scripture talks about, a holy and loving God and his expectations. Where's your heart? And why do you give the way you give? Jesus fulfilled this standard perfectly, being a sinless and pure sacrifice without blemish. We see that in John 8, of course. Read John. John is a great book. Notice that that free will, one more point that I have here, you can't coerce in your giving. God did not want a coerced sacrifice. Manipulation. I'm going to give this because I have expectations, then you'll do this for me and you'll get this. And There is no manipulation or you know, you know, expectation to gain something from it. Anytime you give because you have an expectation that God has to bless you now tenfold, sevenfold, fivefold, or, or I'm going to give so I can get a position in the church, or I'm going to give so I can get a name on a plaque. I mean, we don't do that. You freely give without any coerced sacrifice. And it's an important principle because God wants our hearts freely given to him and to freely give. Verse 4. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So when they got there, before they sliced the throat, that man had to put his hand, and the scripture, the, the word here is to press, to really press, to really make a connection with this, because he's basically saying right here, as we see this hand on the head of the burnt offering, it will be accepted on his behalf. To make an atonement at one mint with God. So we see here, it was a clear picture of identification with the sacrifice. God, I'm bringing this sacrifice. My life, I lay it at the altar. I'm laying my hand on this animal. I'm laying my life committed to you and everything I've done. You know, I live for you. And looking for the forgiveness or the covering of his sins, that's the part of the sacrifice here. And it's through this symbol that the guilty of of, of the the man is transferred his guilt to the sacrificed victim that would die for the sin of the offer on the altar. It wasn't enough for the, the animal just to die. But one receiving atonement had to actively identify himself with the sacrifice. I am placing myself on the altar. God, forgive me. I need forgiveness. And he's laying his hands on the head and because death and blood must happen for the covering. In this case, as we will learn, covering of their sin. Jesus will wipe away the sin. They needed their sin covered. And it's the same way. It's not enough to know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Just knowing, oh yeah, Jesus died for the sins of the world. That's not enough. The one who would receive his atonement, God's atonement, and allows us to be one, one with God again, is to reach out and identify yourself with Jesus. Jesus, you died for me on that cross. It was my sins that was placed upon you. Just like the man placed his life, his sins on the sacrifice of that altar, that, that bull, and he was about to die. We too not only know that Jesus died, for but we're saying, God, my sins were upon you. I identify with your sacrifice for my sins. It's not enough just to know. It is a heart to understand and completely surrender and put all your life on that altar of that cross at Calvary. That is when you become saved. That is when you have one atonement, that will take place. The Hebrew word here for atonement is kofar, is to cover. That word atonement we see here is to cover The sin, by the blood offering. The idea is that an individual's sin is covered over by the blood of the sacrificial victim or the bull in this case. And this sacrifice was more than about just total surrender to God than just about sin. It shows that when we come to God with total surrender, we sure realize we must deal with our sin. We must understand that once we understand we're transferring, we know that we're dead in Christ, Christ is in us, we're in Christ, that we must now deal with the sin that he has dealt with. We're wiped away and we have to not stay in the same state. We must change and we must live for God. That's why this this burnt offering represented a consecration through identification. My sins were placed on that bull. It was sacrificed. The blood was drained. The blood was then sprinkled on the altar. And we will see that here in verse 5. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. That is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts of the head and the fat in the order of, on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the Lord. So here they take the bull, again, sacrificed, Blood sprinkled all around, each of them laying the hands, of course, of the sacrificial victim And mentions that we see here. And the killing of the sacrifice takes place. But then the blood must be uh, sprinkled and poured on the altar to show of the covering. And we see that the second occurrence or the phrase before the Lord in Leviticus is right here in these scriptures. And again, uh, this before the Lord occurs 60 times uh, in, in this book. Before the Lord. Before the Lord. We do this before the Lord. We do this before the Lord. And no other way. But the blood of the animal represents the life of the animal. It was sprinkled on the altar of sacrifice. Now in verse 10, we're going to see if they did not have a bull or ox, what are they to bring? It says, in this offering is the flocks of the sheep of the sheep or of the goats. As a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, and he shall cut it into its pieces. With its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet sweet aroma to the Lord. But notice a couple of things for the bull and for the goat and sheep. It's a picture what it says it's sacrificed, it's cut up, and the meat is placed upon the wood of the altar. Catch the linkage here. Jesus was sacrificed. He was a he was a sh- shredded up meat by the time he was whipped and the and the crown of thorns and everything else. And again, blood just coming down. But he was placed. On the wood of the sacrifice our savior was on the wood sacrificed just as we see the sacrifice on the wood it was the burnt wood here but our Jesus it was the wrath of God it's the father's fire of wrath coming down upon Jesus on that wood it will be burned up, as we will see. It continues here. We close here with verses 14 through 17. What happens if you're really poor and you have no animals? That means you don't have to give to God? Nope. Even the most poorest had to sacrifice something and we will see that if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds then he shall bring his offering of turtle, turtle doves or young pigeons the priest shall bring it to the altar and the priest in this case will wring off its head and burn it on the altar It's blood shall be drained out of the side of the altar, and he shall remove the crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place of ashes. Then he shall split, split it at its wings... But shall not divide it completely and the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. And it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So we see even the poorest had to bring a bird, not just any birds. He had to bring the dove or bring a pigeon to the sacrifice. If you notice in the previous, when the blood, when the sacrifice of the blood was drained, it was on the north side is where it was placed. The north side, as you look at the scripture and also make the connection with Jesus on the cross, there in verse 11, that he shall kill it on the north side. Jesus died on the cross just outside on the north side of the walls of Jerusalem that day on the Mount of, of on Calvary on the north side. See that linkage as well. But here with the turtle doves and the pigeons, God would not accept any kind of bird. He would accept turtle doves Young pigeons as a sacrifice. It's interesting because God made a way for those, depending on their current status of life, the sacrifice they had to bring corresponded to what they could afford. And it was wrong for a rich man to only offer a bird at a burnt offering. God made his offerings for sin and he gave the richest, most costly thing he could himself. Now as we close up here, again Jesus was completely consumed as he hung on the wood of the cross as he felt the fire of God's holy and righteous indignation being placed upon him. Jesus was baptized at the age of 30, baptized with a picture of death, a picture of burial, a picture of resurrection. And Jesus knew what he was doing. He came to die and to be the sacrifice for you and me. And that's why you have to make the connection. Go back and study these 17 verses because you need to see Jesus as the bull, as the lamb, as the goat, as the dove, he gave himself willingly for you and me. Paul says it clearly, like I said in Romans 12, verse 1-2, and we'll end here. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.